0: Glory, America. Bonjour. Hi, candidates. Hugh Hewitt, that music means. It's the last radio hour of the week. It is the Hillsdale Dialogue this week with Dr. Larry On, president of Hillsdale College. As I remind my new listeners down in Pensacola, you can go to hillsdale.edu, H-I-L-L-S-D-A-L-E.edu, and you'll get everything about Hillsdale, all their online courses. You can sign up for the free speech digest uh, in Primus. And if you go to hughforhillsdale.com, you'll find every conversation I've had either with Dr. Arn, the president of Hillsdale, or one of his many colleagues on the faculty or staff dating back to 2013, beginning with Homer up to the present. And indeed, this week, we're very much focused on the present because we had a historic event. We had a, a vote on impeachment, Dr. Arn. Uh, good morning. Great to have you. Good morning. How are you? It's only happened twice in the, uh, in the last century, three times in the history of the country, that we've had a vote on impeachment, so it is a rather significant day or week, isn't it?
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. It uh, so uh, Andrew uh, they get they get farther and farther from success. So a- Andrew Johnson was almost convicted in the Senate, uh, two votes. I think he fell sh- fell short of conviction. Uh, Bill Clinton's wasn't close, and Donald Trump's wasn't close.
0: This was a wholly partisan exercise in the House. They had a half a vote. Uh, from a Republican. Mitt Romney voted for one article, voted against the other article, so it was a wholly partisan, only in America would someone call that bipartisan. It's just a wholly partisan exercise. Is that what impeachment was ever intended to be, Larry Arnn?
2: Well, uh, the first and significant thing about it is it's supposed to be hard to do, right? And it it is hard to do. It's never successfully done against the president. Many judges have been impeached. And and convicted, so it's a it's a political exercise, obviously, because it's politicians in the House who bring charges and prosecute, and it's senators in the Senate who become jurors, and they're elected officials, and that's crucial because if you appointed a high tribunal of you know grand poobahs and satraps then they would effectively have the power over the president, over the executive action of the United States. So politicians do it. And then in the Federalists, they predict that it will be wholly uh, uh, political exercise. And, you know, it's not just that it takes both the House and the Senate to produce the result. It takes two-thirds in the Senate, extraordinary majority. So they would have had to get what, 20, roughly, defectors in the Senate to to uh, to get him impeached. And there, there was never any hope of that. What they wanted was what? They wanted the talk of this. They wanted to change the conversation. Uh, and then hope that something would mess around in there and you'd find something.
0: And they hoped as well to injure... Martha McSally of Arizona, Cory Gardner of Colorado, Susan Collins of Maine, David Perdue of Georgia, Tom Tillis of North Carolina. I believe, according to Leader McConnell, all five are in better shape polling-wise now than they were at the beginning of this. Though, of course, we cannot expect Adam Schiff to speak the truth about what a fiasco this has been.
2: No. he. Uh, it, it's uh, Some of this is just seems shameless to me. There's no uh, – you know, when, when Ronald Reagan was president, and Ronald Reagan was about as assertive as this guy about change and about as ready to be an enemy of the existing order, there was still kind of buddyship uh, and, and civility and, and whiskey drinking together between him and Tip O'Neill, the Speaker of the House. And this is just hostile now. It's just, you know, Nancy Pelosi tore up Trump's speech in, on the camera just as he finished it. And, you know, that's a, that that just that just means these people are not very fond of each other.
0: Well, it's also a speech in which General McGee, a Tuskegee Airman, was honored. It was a speech which remembered the life of a soldier who was killed by Suleimani as his wife and son watched. It was a speech in which a four-time deployed soldier was reunited with his wife, daughter and son. It was a speech in which many American heroes of many sorts were honored and Nancy Pelosi tore it up.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's uh I, that that seems to me an important miscalculation. And the whole thing is kind of dropping the veil right now. Now you see uh this won't do. And I, I think they've, you know, they've, they're in full rebellion, and they'll do whatever they can, and you know, this c- campaign season is going to be fierce.
0: Now, I, I wish to play for you something, uh, a quote by Andrew Weissman talking with Nicole Wallace of MSNBC, and Andrew Weissman was the Javert. Of the prosecutor. Uh, We know Robert Mueller now not really in control of the Mueller investigation, the special counsel investigation. Here he is complaining that the president would not testify in essence, complaining that he would not walk into the perjury trap. Cut
1: number seven faxed. Um, so I think um, you know, there was something very interesting when the Italians were trying to get rid of Berlusconi, and they had a very, very similar demagogue who also was amoral. And one of the ways they did it was you don't just talk about his you know, personal failings. You go to the facts, and you talk about why his policies are wrong. And I think that's what the Democrats have to point out, that all of this is just adjectives. There's actually a complete dearth of the president saying, what exactly is wrong with these people What have they, what? Have they actually said that's incorrect? And the second point is, it is noticeable that the president mouths off today about this. But where was he in the House? Where was he in the Senate? Mm -hmm. He never submitted to an interview. He never testified under oath. It's true. The same happened in the Mueller case. Why do you think that is? Well, I think there's a classic reason. There is legal jeopardy that attaches if you sit for an interview or if you um, say something under oath to federal prosecutors, to the House, to the Senate. So if you notice, the president is happy to talk today about, oh, this is evil and these people are corrupt. But when it came time for him to sort of put up or shut up, which is, are you willing to actually say this under oath or even in an interview, he's completely silent. So to me, one classic way of dealing with this is to say, you know, a lot of your people testified and they were willing to come in and say something under oath, mm-hmm. under the penalty of perjury. Where were you?
0: Now, Larry Arndt, that is a prosecutor. He was the leading prosecutor because Robert Mueller was a figurehead, calling the president who he prosecuted a demagogue and amoral. What does that tell you about this? The Mueller investigation, which was followed hard on by the impeachment.
2: Yeah, well, but Mueller hired a bunch of partisans. You know, you, you can bet, by the way, that if they had something and they were. See, first of all, if they had something, they wouldn't need Trump's testimony. But what did they have? You know what? the The great it started with the charge of collusion. And uh, his verdict about that was he couldn't rule it out. (laughs) (laughs)
0: There was no collusion.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, he doesn't. He doesn't. He says he he names no collusion. (laughs) And then says, I can't I can't say that it didn't happen for sure. Well, Trump's testimony won't add anything to that except the possibility that he gets he gets a date wrong or the stuff that they do to them now. And uh, then there's then a whole new uh, ch- cause of action, a whole new worm, can of worms opened up. And so he wanted Trump to do that. But, you know, defend, ordinary defendants are cautious about doing that.
0: And this is the president of the United States. This was an admission by the chief prosecutor that he believes the president is a demagogue and a moral. He is supposed to be a prosecutor representing blind justice. I think it's a stunning admission. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and after, I after, uh, think of the stuff that happened in the FBI, that, you know, those, and just name one thing, right? There's two guys, Peter Strzok's one of them, and they were, They were investigating all this stuff and they were leaking about all this stuff. And meanwhile, they were sending emails to each other about how they're going to prevent Donald Trump from becoming president. And that's just so far from being the function of the FBI. It is a breach of their duty.
0: It is so far from. And this is what I want to emphasize at the conclusion of the impeachment. The people on trial here are not the president and his team. It's it is the people who pursued him. They have done a horrible disservice to this country and left a scar on the Constitution. And I will talk more about that with Dr. Larry Arn, constitutional scholar, author of of many books on this and and many more to come, I hope. Hillsdale College, all things Hillsdale at Hillsdale.edu. Stay tuned. It's the Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. The Hillsdale Dialogue is underway. Hillsdale.edu for all things Hillsdale, the Lantern of the North. Hillsdale College educates thousands of students every year. It is one of our last best hopes for actually literate college students going down and spreading sweet reason across the land, but especially in Washington, D.C. Dr. Larry Arn is president of Hillsdale College. We are talking about both the impeachment vote, the failure to remove the president, the acquittal of Donald Trump, and his State of the Union address, which came out before the vote, and then his remarks on Thursday about his acquittal which followed his Thursday morning prayer breakfast. He is a president fully engaged in the fight, Larry Arm. We haven't seen this in a long time.
1: <laughs>
2: well, it, his State of the Union message uh, was a very remarkable thing. Uh, first of all, he had a lot, of, lot to report. There's a long list. And uh, I didn't realize that they were going to get 500 wall, miles of wall built. I thought that they were going to get a hundred miles. They didn't have that much, but so anyway, every everywhere he turned, there was a big thing, and you know, and he's all over it. He said he said I would, and so I did. That's the kind of speech. But then what? The other thing about it was was that it was an incredibly aggressive speech, and mark something. We've heard State of the Union messages by what in in, in memory we've had Ronald Reagan and two people named Bush. And this one was more deeply controversial, even when he was saying things that all three of them said. Why? It's just the political divide is widening now, and now you have to make a choice. And so the fact that he stood up there and said, you know, tax cuts and school choice and no no partial birth abortion, the fact that he said all that, it just was like uh, you, you—, you I, I, you could feel in the room. It was an act of courage, deep hostility. And uh, that's, you know, we don't talk like that anymore. If you say things like that on elite campus, college campuses, there'll be demonstrators to drive you out immediately. And so he stood there and said that. And then more uh, stronger still, he called them out. How many? 130 people in this room have voted for this thing. You see, and they were there, dressed in their in their garb with the different ones. So the women were white, and there were some other ones, and they were there ready to stand up and shout. And he wanted them to. And that just means
0: he's not uh, he's not cowed, not at all. Well, I do believe. We continue, I continue, I'll say I continue to underestimate TV skills of a man who did television for 10 years. And he's very aware of his timing, he's very aware of the reactions he's going to elicit, and he's very aware of how it's going to play at home. And so the audience was down a little bit in total numbers, but the people who turned in saw, among other things, Rush Limbaugh receive the Medal of Freedom, the highest civilian honor available, uh, after a diagnosis of stage four uh, lung cancer, a terrible thing, and it shares his base, it outrages the left, and it draws the line clearly.
2: I, uh, so I, I, I'll say a word about Rush Dunbar. It turns out that, that I spent an hour and a half with him the day after he got that diagnosis oh my gosh and uh i I go see him once in a while i haven't known him as long as i've known you you hugh but almost and uh and you know he's he's a interesting man he's very smart he's an excellent listener he's an excellent talker we just all talk, talk a blue streak every time i see him and this was no different whatsoever and uh he looked good. He reported himself strong. Uh, it, we laughed a lot. Uh, I, I just want to say, you know, he's such an important man. He's a pioneer, which you and many others follow. And and uh, that that Trump did this for him. That was just just right.
0: I believe him. that I, I've said it many times. Rush Limbaugh built the talk radio mall. I'm just a tenant in it as is everybody else. I get to be Nordstrom like Sean and and Mark Levin and, and Dennis Prager and everybody else who's followed. We're all just tenants living in the mall that Rush Limbaugh built. But more importantly, he changed the conversation in America to allow the conversation to occur. When we come back, we will talk about that, the impeachment, the State of the Union, and the campaign ahead, because Iowa sort of voted, sort of, and New Hampshire is a Bernie Buttigieg race, and Joe Biden is setting below the horizon. More coming up on the Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. That music means it's the last radio hour of the week when I discuss with Dr. Larry Arne, president of Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale are found at hillsdale.edu, including an agenda of where Dr. Arne will be speaking. You can go out and see him and the opportunity to sign up for Imprimus the speech digest of Hillsdale college. I've been negotiating with a guy. He's coming to the Nixon library sometime in April. And I will get to roast him in person. I think when he does that, but Dr. And I don't want the normally when we do this, we're talking about Homer or Thucydides or Plutarch. I want to spend a, a little bit of time in this segment on two current events, the Iowa caucus and the coronavirus, because they are not unrelated. First of all, as we speak, There are 61 people on a cruise ship off of Japan with the coronavirus. There are uh, thousands in China with the virus. There are hundreds dead. 31,000 people admitted by the People's Republic of China to have the virus. It's shown up all around the world. And I have read the great influenza by John Barry. I know how influenza's pandemics work. Are you worried? Well,
2: uh, our friend Senator Cotton is all over this and, He's the one that made me worried. Yes, he, he said. Yeah, he, apparently, he's been telling them, and they're doing it in the Trump administration. Whatever is the most radical, effective thing you can think of, do that, and then think of something else, because it you know it could get really bad, and it seems to spread very fast. And what is it? There's is it now seventy million people in quarantine in in China? Yep. And that's hard to do. A, uh, a, uh, I know a great doctor at the Cleveland Clinic, and, and he works for the King of Saudi Arabia sometimes. And uh, he was in a consultation one time. Uh, the King of Saudi Arabia was going to go to Bali, and they'd built, built a brand new airport to take his plane. Everybody's excited, and then the bird flu came. And so there's a meeting of big, fancy doctors. Can, they, can we protect him? And the meeting went on for a long time, and toward the end, uh, most people thought they could. And, uh, and then this doctor said, he's the head of preventive medicine, he said, you don't have to protect him. 800 people are going on this trip. You have to protect all of them. And, and then if you fail with one of them, this will be all over Saudi Arabia, whether the king gets it or not. And everybody went, oh, yeah. That's how bad it is, right? You can't you can't send a large body or even a small body of people into the area without thinking it's going to come back with them.
0: Now when when the great influenza began in Kansas in 1918, traveled abroad in our troop ships, spread throughout the continent. It's known as the Spanish flu because that's the only place where there was not censorship and people wrote about it. It went dormant for a while and then reappeared in a more virulent form as viruses are apt to do near Boston, destroying as it went with rising mortality, even as morbidity increased. And it became quite the destructive event. And I think Senator Cotton is aware of the great influenza by John Barry and other similar stories. Panic is different from worry. Panic is bad. Worry is good. And if if this happens, how does it cut politically I am curious your your assessment of that, Larry Arn.
2: Well, goodness knows. Uh, I guess if it hits the blue states hard, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, you know, if there will be. So the way it becomes a political football is that there will be claimed that there's something Trump could have done that he didn't do, and and mind you, by the way, those those claims are right. That's why we have oppositions, right? We don't. Neither you nor I want Donald Trump to have unfettered power, I actually think Donald Trump doesn't want unfettered power. But, but we, it, it, of course, if there's something that we can do to stop this, then we have to do it. I mean, to keep it from becoming severe in this country and to save as many people as we can. And so that was Senator Cotton's point. Do everything, right? And he's you know Trump is doing a lot he's curtailing travel to whole countries now and uh and you know that's a that's a big deal but that's how this stuff moves around and and it kills now
0: now let me read to you something that just came across the wire breaking news is our forte even though we're talking usually about homer employers added I'm reading from the Wall Street Journal employers added 225,000 jobs in January The jobless rate was 3.6%, signs that the U.S. labor market is positioned to fuel economic growth in 2020. Wages increased 3.1% from a year earlier, a touch higher than December's annual rise of 3%. Economists surveyed by the Wall Street Journal had forecast a job growth of 158000 and an unemployment rate of 3.5% and year-over-year wage growth of 3%. January's robust payroll gain points to a continued healthy labor market in the US, an economic expansion now in its 11th year. Over the past three months, the US economy added an average of 211,000 jobs. Job growth was revised higher in the last four months of 2019. Here's the key fact, Larry. Economists were expecting 158,000 jobs. They got 225,000 jobs but unemployment went up because as the president said in the state of the union millions of people are flocking back into the job market over the last 3 years who had given up under obama it's extraordinary
2: mm. well i think it's uh, that 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 fact is one of the most promising uh, facts of economic statistics i've heard in decades why we we've we we have developed you know, here's the here's the way it goes. We talk of an underclass in America, and they won't work, and they don't have to, and they, you know, there's a terrible article about Appalachia about how people get their EBT payments, food stamp payments, and they they go and buy cases of Coca Cola, and they take it to the next place over and sell it for fifty cents on the dollar to turn it into cash. <laughs> So you buy drugs with that, right? And that's, you know, you read those stories and you're just devastated. And those stories are from the place where the war on poverty was started 50 years ago, right? And it's if it's, it's, it's anything worse. So then you just read the desperate thing. Those people have been ruined. Come to find out not. Come Come to find out those people are human. They want to work and be responsible for themselves. And the unemployment rates among among the the most the worst among the racial minorities that have suffered the most, the unemployment rates are at historic lows
0: yeah, the average hourly earnings increased by seven cents last month to twenty eight dollars and forty four cents an hour. Wages were up three point one percent from a year. Pay has grown at an annual pay of three percent or higher for eighteen consecutive months, and this is the key. The share of Americans working or looking for work ticked up to 63.4% from 63.2% in December. The so-called labor force participation rate has remained steady in recent years, defying economists' expectations for the retirement of baby boomers to drag down the rate. People want to work. They expect to live a long time, and they're working longer.
2: Yeah. It's, um Uh, And, you know, Trump's – the economic reforms are farther reaching than ever because Trump has done more to curb the regulatory state than anyone has done. And uh, he just – you know, there's some thousands of regulations now. uh, They made that rule that became appealing that uh, every time you uh, put in a new regulation, you had to repeal two. They're running it at eight to 12, repealed for every new one, and apparently the staff at the Office of Management and Budget are cooperative, and they like the idea that they should not live in fairyland, but they should have to me- w- measure the cost of what they do. And that you know that's a if he could get that spirit running through the federal government, and that'll take, of course, a long time but it is running
0: in places. And, and, and this brings me to Iowa, which I wanted to talk to you about. Um, they want to take over the medical system, 100 percent. Democrats do. They can't run a caucus.
2: Yeah. Well, um, it's very possible that the app rebelled against the quality of the candidate. <laughs>
0: Hadn't heard it put that way yet. <laughs> that, that artificial intelligence took over and they said, reject, reject, reject. The, the real interesting thing, and I, I'd like your comment on this, is that Joe Biden, eight years at the side of Barack Obama, comes in fourth. And in the last two polls in New Hampshire, he's at 11 percent in either third, fourth or fifth place. Eleven percent. He was the vice president for eight years with Barack Obama. What does that tell you about Joe Biden? Mm-hmm. Well, I already knew.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he's a, so let's say a word for Joe Biden. Uh, Joe Biden is a public servant of many years' experience. And he's a, he, he, he seems wonderfully, to my mind, to my eye, old-fashioned compared to most of the rest of them. He's from a different time. Uh, you know he has some manners, and uh, you know, and who am I praising manners? I I put up with Donald Trump, but it, it, and his manners, Donald Trump's manners are mostly very good. It's just once in a while, maybe not. So I, you know, he he looks like still looks like the adult in the room, but you know this Ukraine stuff. What I first believed when all that broke. Was that that was that that was getting its energy because it was a hit on Joe Joe Biden because his son is all wrapped up in that stuff and uh, he is probably all wrapped and I think maybe that's part of what's happening here.
0: Well, there is uh, uh, this is the blue bubble effect on media which is so deeply destructive of understanding politics. If they won't talk to each other on air about the reality of what America sees, they are unaware and they they thicken the blue bubble. And i And I do believe that blue bubble is so freaking thick they cannot understand that the American people saw fifty or eighty or whatever amount of money that Hunter Biden was making, and came to a conclusion thirty seconds later that that something was rotten in Denmark. Yeah
2: yeah, and you know his his dad had been there with him and and uh his dad had intervened forcefully in Ukrainian politics and bragged about it as a sign of his strength as an executive and i'm not actually i don't know whether crimes have been committed and and still less i don't know whether whether uh american you know violations of us law have been committed that's what investigations are about uh, but it, it looks shady and you know and it, uh, we we talked about impeachment there's a point to say what one condition of impeachment is You have to be able to point at something that he did that was not part of his
0: duty. It's a date-stamped issue. We'll be right back. A final segment on impeachment, a historic week in the United States. Dr. Larry Arn, historian and president of Hillsdale College,
3: is my guest. Don't go anywhere except to Hillsdale.edu. I ran last time when I came to New Hampshire, and I talked about raising the minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour and health care as a human right and climate change. A lot of the establishment, the political establishment and the media establishment, hey, Bernie's a nice guy, but he's he's crazy. (laughs) Nice guy, but, you know, his ideas are so far removed from reality. Ain't nobody going to support that. And we came to New Hampshire after tying in Iowa. We came to New Hampshire and we won here, won the state by a good margin. And the importance of that is not just for me. I don't mean, you know, helped me politically, it did. But more importantly, what the people of New Hampshire said, These are not radical ideas. These are ideas that make sense to working families throughout the country. So that's issue number one, where I think there is a change. Ideas that four years ago seemed radical are now part of the mainstream. And many of my opponents uh, are kind of, in one way or another, echoing what I said four years ago. Issue number two, I'll tell you what is very different. Four years ago, I talked about climate change. People said, yeah, well, he's right. It's a serious problem. Right now, what I see all over this country, when I talk about climate change, people say, Yeah. We got a real crisis here. We've got to do some you know, really got to respond. And I'm so proud of the young people in this country. We're proud of the fact that we have the endorsement of the Sunrise Movement of young people in this country and people all over the world. Young people who are saying, you know what? Hey, adults. Hey, big leaders of the world. We want to live in a planet that is healthy and habitable, and we want that for our children as well.
0: Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. The Hillsdale Dialogue is underway. All things Hillsdale are available at Hillsdale.edu. Dr. Larry Arnn is my guest. He is the president of Hillsdale. He talks to young people all over the country. Bernie Sanders says they're going his way. Bernie Sanders represents—I voted for Bernie by absentee in Virginia because I want a choice, not an echo on the ballot in November— uh, are those ideas less radical, Dr. Ahn? You know British history. You know when the socialists broke upon the scene and, and shattered the party system in Great Britain. What do you make of Bernie thinking that the young people in America, whom you see every day at the campus of Hillsdale College, have gone hard left?
2: Well, the Socialist Party entered, uh, entered British politics the same year Winston Churchill did. They, said they got their first seats, just a few in the House of Commons. In the year nineteen hundred and they got their first majority to operate with in nineteen forty five so they burst on the scene over the course of forty five years and You have to remember that uh, Churchill would say this sometime sometimes the election of a social socialist government is the kind of trauma that would only follow something cataclysmic like a defeat in war, and that's when it happened. you know the worst war in history. Compromised the power of Great Britain, and then they elected a socialist government and then they threw them out six years later so yeah I, it, 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 these ideas have been around for a long time right they They're offshoots of a german historicism, historicism which dates from the early nineteenth century so sure, you know for a long time, and are they the, the question is are they good ideas? And if they're not good ideas, then their adoption will lead to disaster. And the point about the young, uh, the young, are you know, uh, they they need to be learning, and they are surely growing up, whether they're growing up well or not. And they change very fast, because every big thing they do is new to them for years. So I wouldn't, if I were Bernie, I wouldn't depend that the youth have adopted this argument, because... You know, I mean, it's against the law virtually to even have a sense of humor about global warming. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, a lot of people do, and uh, so it's um, uh, this. This remember what his claim is? It's amazing. It's one of the sharpest divides in American history. It's, it's, It's not quite like the Civil War, but it's getting there. Donald Trump is going to restore right make a great again right and what they're going to do is these new problems change everything and we have to sweep everything out of the way to deal with them and in one form or another all of the candidates on the democratic ticket including joe biden are saying that and so it's just a very
0: stark contrast and Uh, But do uh, you believe you work with college students every day? If people are taking their children up to see Hillsdale College and make a campus visit, you're more than likely to run into Dr. Arn, so you have to add an hour to your schedule. And so uh, when you talk to these these youngsters, and they are young, they're 18 and younger, are they what Bernie says?
2: Well, my ones are crazy, of course. But, uh, you know, because you come to Hillsdale College, first of all, it's like joining the Marine Corps. And, uh, you know, everybody knows it's hard. Everybody knows we've got to study all this stuff. Everybody knows we're going to be treated like we're ignorant and uh, also listened to and compelled to think and talk about things that we're not ready to do, right? It's 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 very old-fashioned in that way, so it's slightly artificial. But it's also true that, uh, they you know, they are aware of all these trends and all these trends in all of the big controversial subjects, you know, climate change, sex, all that. And they have opinions about them, and they argue about them, and some of them are on Bernie's side about climate change. But they argue and they think, right? And also, they don't think that they
0: know everything. Boy, what an advantage. What an advantage to not to be aware of what you do not know. Dr. Larry Arnn is here every week to remind me of what I don't know, and hopefully you as well. All of the Hillsdale Dialogues are available at hugh 4 com. Go to hillsdale.edu and get your application. Send your child there if you want them to be educated in an age of complete your logic. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, General Ismail. Thank you, Dr. Arn. I'll be back Monday.